A sudden change in direction with Representative David Byrd and a key vouchers vote passes a hurdle. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of April 1st. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. Top of the order here. We've got to immediately jump into what happened uh, at least this past week with with Representative David Byrd. Uh, For those that may or may not recall, if you've been living under a rock, uh, David Byrd has faced allegations for more than a year that he uh, sexually assaulted women dating back to the 1980s when he was a high school basketball coach. Uh, three women have come forward, including uh, one named Christy Rice, who recorded a phone call uh, featuring David Byrd apologizing for something without uh, explaining. Uh, throughout the past year, House Speaker Glenn Cassida has supported him, including in January when the Speaker named David Byrd a chairmanship uh, position. Uh, this week, though, that has changed. Natalie, what's the latest? Well, uh, this week we got word from Cassidy's office that David Byrd was being removed from his position as chairman of the Education Administration Subcommittee, which, as you just mentioned, uh, is a a committee he had just been appointed to in January, right after Glenn Cassidy was voted speaker. Uh, It it was a newly formed committee. So basically, Cassidy made this committee for for Bird, essentially, is, is the read on it. This committee did not exist previously. Um, so so Bird had been named chairman of this committee despite calls from activists and, and other people over the last few months for Bird uh, to be removed from his chairmanship, to have, you know, Cassidy ask Bird to step down. Uh, Cassidy had repeatedly said, you know, no, Representative Bird is doing a great job as chairman of the subcommittee. Uh, I believe he should be considered innocent until proven guilty. It's worth noting that this week, um, Cassidy's office did not claim that Cassidy suddenly had a change of heart about the allegations against Byrd. He's framed it as this was posing too much of a distraction. There was concern from members. Um, his office says that it received a letter from members of the House, House Ethics Committee uh, essentially calling for Byrd to be removed from his chairmanship, although Cassidy's office, nor has anyone on the ethics committee produced this letter. Yeah, we've asked for it, and uh, Cassidy's office has effectively said the, uh, the the letter is confidential, so you can't see it. Uh, in the past, there have been documents that go into members' personnel files, but given that this isn't necessarily a personnel issue and or it sounds like a, an actual action by the ethics committee itself, it won't go in his personnel file. Uh, so uh, who knows if we'll we'll see that. Either way, it's a significant shift, a significant change for the speaker mid-session when this committee is maybe you know a week, two weeks away from closing to change course. Uh, some have speculated that this had to do uh, with what happened the actual day before, uh, which is sort of the next uh, topic that we have to talk about here: uh, the passage of a, 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 the governor's key legislation this year, school vouchers. Uh, what happened that day? Well, it, it did pass uh, out of... House education. Full. Yes, out of the most recent committee it was in, but no thanks to David Byrd. David Byrd was among a uh, few others who, what was it, nine who nine, voted against yeah. it. Um, there, was, there was a couple other Republicans, uh, Cochran and Coley. Um, I think they were the only other 
and Kevin Vaughn, he voted against it too. Yeah. So there was there's about four Republicans who voted against it. David Byrd being one of those. Byrd uh, is a former teacher and principal, um, longtime educator, and has previously been opposed to vouchers. So it's not it's not a surprise that he voted against this. Although some you know have have um, framed this as you know Byrd retribution yes, of sorts. Yes, yeah. Byrd. That's at least how Bo Mitchell put it last week, a Nashville Democrat who said that it absolutely violating had to do. his uh, protective agreement mm-hmm. by by Byrd voting against this bill that Cassida has been pushing and lobbying members to support. Uh, the Democrats say that that Byrd somehow violated this you know unspoken agreement he has to receive cover from Cassida. Uh, Cassida's office, for its part, <laughs> said that that is a what an absolute lie is what Cade Catherine said. Yeah, yeah, and and you know I I think again going into the vote I, I wouldn't be surprised if everybody knew that David Byrd was a no, but the way that this bill is being um, I guess uh, the attention is being called to it it's going to be a close vote either way so the Speaker Cassida has really taken it upon himself it sounds like as well as the governor's office to really whip up votes for this and so again maybe this was a signal to people of if you fly too close to the sun and you don't agree with with the Speaker you're going to get burned uh, the, the, the logical next question is what happens to the Republicans who voted against this you know why is it just David Bird that would get punished. And possibly because he was the biggest question mark, right? The the speaker really went out of his way to protect David Bird when what's he bringing to the table? So maybe that's what what changed. Uh, You also curiously had the the, the timing of the speaker agreeing last week uh, to a meeting that otherwise he wouldn't have expected, you know, prior to this. Yeah. So pretty much every, almost every week that the the committees have uh, been held this session, uh, a group of women have come to David Byrd's uh, subcommittee, the one he chairs, the Education Administration. It, it has met every Tuesday afternoon. Uh, they've come and they've held, you know, eight and a half by 11 signs, uh, which are permitted in there saying, you know, Byrd should resign or, you know, I'm here for Christy Rice. That was, you know, one of the women who came forward with accusations. Um, they didn't speak during the meetings, although one week they had they were thrown off, thrown out of the meeting for attempting to talk to some of the representatives during a recess. But every week these women would show up um, and they would, you know, they would ask questions of Bird. What were you apologizing for in this uh, in this recording Chrissy Rice made of you saying that you were asking for forgiveness? Uh, they were asking representatives why didn't they believe Christy Rice and these other women? Um, a few weeks ago, Christy Rice set up a meeting with the governor. And last week, she was able to get a meeting with Glenn Cassida. That isn't going to take place till the end of this month. It's scheduled for April 29th. But basically, when these women came on Tuesday, um, Bird subcommittee meeting had been canceled that day. They said it was because uh, there weren't any bills to discuss. You know, one was taken off notice. One was um, being delayed. Uh, but... But these women went to Cassida's office and and actually outside of Bird's office as well, and they were basically reading a transcript um, of a letter that Christy Rice had had sent, you know, basically asking for help in this situation and calling on Cassida to act. And uh, one of the representatives from Enough is Enough Tennessee, it's a political action committee that has sought to unseat Bird, went into the office and said she wanted to set up a meeting on behalf of Christy Rice with with the speaker. And they had been calling, she and, and Christy had been calling for several weeks, apparently. And, and Cassida's assistant agreed to do that. 
The meeting is scheduled, of course, uh, April 29th, which if you play out the timing is potentially the same week or maybe the week after uh, the full house would consider the uh, school vouchers bill, which is, again, probably the penultimate bill of uh, the governor, governor's legislative package this year. The vote is so close that um, in education, uh, you have the speaker come out and vote for this preemptively. Normally, the speaker does not vote in committees. Normally, the speaker is a tie-breaking vote. Before anybody else on that committee voted this week, uh, the speaker cast his vote, possibly as a sign of either reassurance or just a reminder, hey, I like this bill. Uh, you should too, to his colleagues. Uh, the one person to kind of uh, not necessarily buck the trend, but you know, stood out um, uh, from his colleagues because he didn't cast a yes or a no vote was Kirk Haston. Uh, he's a freshman lawmaker. He's a vice chairman of the education committee. He voted present, not voting, and also said essentially, uh, you know, I think that this this bill should be voted on by the full chamber. Uh, so not necessarily throwing his weight behind it for or against it, uh, but again, several members on that committee tried to to make that argument. Well, we want to see all 99 people vote on this bill. Uh, so again, these two issues, David Byrd, school vouchers intertwined, a separate whatever. It has been sort of the dominating house force this session, both of them, and it's going to continue to be in the coming weeks. And and for the record, David Byrd has told us he has no plans to resign. So we'll, we'll see what unfolds with that. But as of right now, he says he's staying put. Joining us today on the podcast is Charlene Oliver, who is a board member on the Equity Alliance. It's a, an advocacy, advocacy group for African-Americans and people of color. Uh, she also happens to work for Congressman Jim Cooper. Thanks for coming on board today. Great. Thanks for having me. So we wanted to have uh, Charlene on to talk about a bill that the Equity Alliance is, is seemingly especially concerned about this week. Um, uh, to give people a little bit of background, uh, it's this bill, House Bill 1079, Senate Bill 971 from Representative Tim Rudd and uh, uh, Senator Ed Jackson. And essentially, it sounds like it's coming from the Secretary of State's office. It's related to voter registration. Uh, mm -hmm. Give us give listeners the nuts and bolts of what this bill might do. So if this bill passes, it would place uh, civil and criminal penalties on groups who do voter registration um, of 100 or more applications. And that is a cumulative number. Uh, you could be doing it all year long and it adds up to 100. Mm -hmm. You could uh, be fined for, quote, deficient forms, which that is not quite defined in the bill. Um, another requirement is it wants you to go through the coordinator of elections to conduct trainings. And this training is not spelled out in the amendment as well. Um, there's also some other things around time limits where you have to turn in the applications at least 10 days after it's been filled out. And um, it does things like require poll watchers to be Tennessee residents. You can't be from out of state, hmm. things of that nature. So, of course, this bill comes, uh, you know, after the 2018 election. But most famously in, in West Tennessee, there were some issues that were really kind of overhanging uh, the election. And, and even prior to that, there was a, a just a glut of new uh, folks that were registered to vote in the lead up to the prime or the general election. Uh, that led to some concern, it sounds like, from uh, election administration. 
administrators where they said, you know, this was done so fast that we didn't have time to process it. That's at least what I've heard. Um, give well, people a yeah. background on that. Let, let's, let's tell the whole story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were a part of a coalition called the Tennessee Black Voter Project. It was the first ever coalition created um, specifically to register uh, 50,000 black voters across the state. We ended up being able to register 91,000. So more than what you, you hoped yes, for. Yes, <laughs> we met, we exceeded our goal. And this was a coalition of uh, 20 organizations across the state, not just in Memphis and Nashville. Mm-hmm. And so we had, we contacted the Secretary of State or, you know, the election commissions, let them know this is going to be happening. You're going to get an influx of forms. Um, unfortunately, in Shelby County, we ran into some issues where the forms were turned in. I mean, there were being thousands of forms turned in every week. And because they were deficient, they let those forms sit until the deadline. Hmm. Um, we asked that they process those forms. They refused. And so the Tennessee Black Voter Project was forced to file a lawsuit. Um, the judge ruled that because they did not allow people the opportunity to correct those forms, uh, the judge ruled in favor of the Tennessee Black Voter Project. Hmm. So... Um, it seems very convenient that this this bill feels very retaliatory in nature um, because we've been doing voter registration for decades. And um, quite often uh, we don't have run into issues. There are um, organizations, you know, we don't really hear about um, mistakes being made, but all of a sudden now we're, we're getting run into this issue now that we're registering African-American voters. So um, we believe that this would hurt everybody in Tennessee. Uh, lots of groups, churches, nonprofits, uh, businesses who want to register voters. And so this really takes us backwards instead of forward. Mm-hmm. And we also believe that this is a, we're looking for a solution to where there isn't a problem. Um, if we really want to find a solution to protect the integrity of elections, we should be fixing the form. Uh, One of the issues we run into a lot when we register voters is they don't want to put their social security number on the form because it requires you to put your entire number on there in addition to your date of birth. And so that is, you know, sensitive data information that we're handing over to people. So if we want to really fix the form, we should make it less confusing um, because we also run into issues where people skip over questions. They put the questions in the wrong boxes. Um, The form is very different from the online registration form. It's also very different from the federal form as well. So if we want to do that, let's let's really truly find the solution to that problem. Do you know if any any law like this exists in other states where this these voter registration drive organizers could be fined up to at ten thousand dollars or even face misdemeanors due to deficient forms? Uh, so no, Tennessee would be the first state that assesses um, an aggressive penalty of this nature. However, there are other states that require some form of training. Uh, so that that isn't new, um, but the, the civil penalties is something that is very aggressive and egregious. So when I recently was in a, a legislative pre-meeting or bill review, as uh, Republicans like to call them, um, they brought up this bill. And at the time, I didn't really know what it was referring to, but I listened to the conversation and, and Tim Rudd, the House sponsor, is basically saying, you know, one of the issues is we had dead people who are being registered. We had people who were ineligible. We had people that were alive and and eligible. 
he it, it seemed like it was kind of one of these these veiled you know you don't quite want to say that we're we're trying to uh, suppress voters we're trying to clean up the rolls kind of argument uh, but there was also uh, sort of this this you know confusion about what makes a a, a form deficient and what doesn't so at one point um, Mark Owens the coordinator of elections, address that. And uh, he had said, actually, not having your social security number does not make it deficient, which is odd. Uh, But Mm. when you have no name, no address and no eligibility box checked, that would make it deficient. Uh, There was a bill earlier this session from um, Representative Vincent Dixie, who tried to limit the social security number to just right. be the last four digits. And that went nowhere, which is kind of weird. Absolutely. Uh, so, I, I mean, what, what do you see this legislation as ultimately aimed at? Do you, do you see this as this is really just trying to suppress the African-American vote out there? Uh, I would, I would venture to say that is part of it. Yes. Um, again, we have to ask ourselves, why wasn't this bill, if we've been having um, voter registration happen you know, as a volunteer state for a long, long time. Um, why now? When uh, the first ever Tennessee Black Voter Project has been established. Uh, so. And, and of course, you are ultimately trying to chip away at where Tennessee stands at in terms of voter turnout, right? It, Absolutely. It's, it's very terrible. We're trying to expand the electorate. We're trying to get more people registered. We got we got to get more people voting. We're 45th in voter voter turnout right now after the midterms. And so we want to make it easier for people to vote for everyone, not just certain groups. Have you all gotten any sense of if other Republican members are supportive of this legislation? Do you think it's going to go anywhere? Uh, we don't know. It has already passed the House uh, subcommittee, um, so we have not been able to get in touch with a lot of um, committee members. Uh, we're hoping to, but as of now, uh, we don't know where the committee stands, where it will be voted on uh, tomorrow. And also, this isn't some kind of uh, harebrained scheme of one lawmaker. It, it, it sounds like the Secretary of State, you'd said, you know, wrote a, an op-ed in our paper. I didn't see it, but uh, uh, supporting this piece of legislation. Right. I mean, we we have to be paying attention to these things because this is how bad bills get passed under the radar. Um, Secretary of State published an op-ed about a week ago last weekend, and then the following Wednesday, the bill gets voted on. And so this information is not public on the the state's website. It's a caption bill, so you would never know. The amendment isn't online. It was Uh, filed as a caption bill, so it was late in the legislative process. And so we... It's very, um, right now, secretive. This is uh, ahead of when you are scheduled to have a press conference, but what, what's the gist of what you guys are going to talk about it, uh, tomorrow in the press conference? Um, tomorrow, we're bringing together um, groups who have done voter registration, not just um, the Equity Alliance, but who have a stake in this, who want to see our um, our state do better at voting. So we're going to be talking about how this bill would be more restrictive and punitive than it would help uh, the process. Well, thank you so much, Arlene, for coming on. Uh, again, this is this is not something that uh, has been uh, talked about much this session because it is such a recent development. This amendment that essentially makes the bill was just filed last week, uh, but groups like the Equity Alliance, even. Congressman Cooper's office, uh, members of his staff have been very vocal. League of Women Voters yeah. have come out against yes, this. The League of mm-hmm. Women Voters mm-hmm. have been vocal about 
uh, drawing the public's attention to this, and I imagine also lawmakers' right. attention to what this bill would do as well. Uh, so we appreciate you coming on to talk about it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, but we'll be following the bill. And it sounds like stay tuned for an op-ed uh, to, to come from the other side on this, right? Yes, we'll be responding to this this week. We'll All right. Stay tuned. To get another perspective on this legislation, I recently interviewed Secretary of State Trey Hargett and Elections Coordinator Mark Goins. Hargett defended the bill, which he highlighted in a recent Tennessean editorial, while noting it was only recently filed, not for nefarious reasons, but because the language of the bill was being worked on early during the session. Hargett and Goins handed me examples of voter registration applications that were incomplete, including ones that had just a first or last name and no address or other identifying information. Hargett said the bill was essentially trying to address two things discourage groups from holding voter registration forms until the registration deadline, which equated to shopping on Christmas Eve. And he said that makes it hard for election officials to process the documents in a timely fashion. He also said that it would encourage groups to undergo training that were to perform voter registration. Hargett noted that the groups who do voter registration drives often hold them until the end because they feel that they have a gold mine of unknown voters. The Secretary of State also said that the bill would be a good way to make sure that Election Day runs more smoothly. He also added, and if people think that they're registered and when they're not actually registered, when they go to vote, there could be additional issues. And now for this week's Notebook Dump. Representative Susan Lynn's Human Life Protection Act, a.k.a. the abortion trigger ban bill, failed in a subcommittee this week, uh, thanks to no votes from two Republicans, Matthew Hill and Micah Van Hus, uh, the latter who was the sponsor of the fetal heartbeat bill. Uh, the former was a vocal proponent of the heartbeat bill. They voted against Susan Lynn's uh, trigger ban bill. This past week, effectively killing it for now, at least, uh, which which was a blow to her. She had had a big rollout earlier this session with Tennessee Right to Life, holding a news conference. Uh, essentially, the bill would have um, banned abortions in the state upon Roe v. Wade being overturned. Another bill that, well, it's not dead, but the, the fate isn't looking great right now, is uh, Rick Staples' sports betting bill, also being sponsored by Steve Dickerson in the Senate. Uh, Rick Staples' bill was essentially rolled a week in a House committee, um, and Steve Dickerson's received a negative recommendation in Senate government ops. Uh, it's unclear whether this bill will be able to move forward, but lots of questions from both Democrats and Republicans about this bill. And finally, U.S. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos is in town uh, today, This, as of this recording, uh, to essentially whip up uh, support for uh, school choice, including vouchers and charter schools. Um, the governor, Governor Bill Lee, is going to be involved in this uh, local visit uh, with DeVos, and presumably uh, both are going to uh, you know, show their support for school choice, including vouchers. 
that's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. As always, this podcast is produced by uh, John Garcia and Erica Whitney. Uh, You can find us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Please continue to rate us. Uh, It really does help. Uh, And you can find us on on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. We're going to try and become a little more active than we have. I've been lazy, honestly, about the Twitter usage. But I think I'm going to change that. Tweet at us. Yes, please tweet at us. Uh, Again, you can find us every week. Thanks for listening. And I'm Joel Lieber. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week.